You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Germany held regional elections on the 14th of March. Um, as often happens, there are 16 states in Germany, and there is a never-ending um, carousel of, of elections happening. These are in some ways a barometer of larger national trends, even though they reflect the specifics of the particular state where they're held. And uh, this matters this year because Germany is headed toward a national election in about six months. And so today on this episode of the Zeitgeist, a senior fellow and director of our Society Culture and Politics program, uh, Eric Langenbacher is with me. And we're gonna talk through what happened uh, yesterday in Rhineland-Pfalz uh, and in Baden-Württemberg, um, uh, two lovely uh, states, uh, and uh, what that might mean for, for what we're going to see in Germany for the coming, uh, coming months and perhaps even years. So Eric, good to be back with you. Nice to be here, Jeff. Uh, so maybe let's start with why this matters. Why does it matter when Germany has an election in a state like Rhineland, uh, Palatinate, as it's uh, translated in English, which has four million uh, residents um, and and maybe isn't always at the front of our national conversation. Well, I mean, the first thing that I would I would mention though is you know yes, there's lots of regional elections. They're usually not aligned with the Bundestag election, but not every state is created equal. Right, so you know, Zalan, for instance, has about a million people. Bremen has seven hundred fifty thousand people. I mean, those are 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 smallish states, and I'm not sure that they are national bellwethers. But um, Baden-Württemberg is a very different kind of case. It's one of the most prosperous states in Germany. It's what the third largest state by population, with uh, I think approximately right. eleven million people. So. You know that's a state that matters, and so the outcomes there I think are are rather significant. Yeah, and and if you take these two states together, basically voters comprising almost twenty percent of Germany's electorate um, uh, went to the polls yesterday. So I think uh, when you take that together, they, you're you're bound to be able to see some some significance. Uh, I I think also you know there is there is always. Um, there are always intensely regional factors. And, and when we start talking about some of the results, I think those will, those will come out because you see big contrasts. Um, and, and so deciphering what these results mean for people who look at Germany um, at the national level is also a different kind of uh, task than it is simply to wade through the statistics. Agreed. And you know, one thing to always keep in mind about regional elections is exactly what you just said, that there are regional specific factors. But you know, German states have had a, a tendency over the decades to have like a like a, a Landesvater, or I guess Landesmutter in many cases. And I think that's especially important to understand for the Baden-Württemberg case. Uh, the fact that um, Kretschmann, who's been in power since 2011, is a very beloved figure. And he actually ran on a classic miracle uh, slogan, which is, you know me, right? You know, basically trust me, don't change horses in midstream. Mm-hmm. I never thought that there'd be a green politician who would basically say, kind of experimenta, no experiments, which was 
um, uh, uh, slogan that they use <laughs> repeatedly, going back to the Adenauer era to maintain its power. So right. sure, there there yeah. are definitely those kind of regionally specific kind of idiosyncrasies. But I mean, I mean, for me, I I think there's there's two important takeaways from both of these um, from both of these um, election results. The first is that you know although some parties lost, others part other parties gained a little bit. Um, voters voted for continuity in the middle of a pandemic. I think that is um, quite significant. And perhaps there are some omens there for what might happen in September nationally. Secondly, I think that this is not something that we've talked that much about. We've talked a lot over the last few years about the crisis of the Social Democrats, the SPD, but they actually had a pretty decent night in both, um, in both states. I mean, they lost what, 0.5% in Rhineland-Palatinate and they lost what, not quite 2% in, well, 1.7% in Baden-Württemberg, but that was a, a real success for the SPD. What we have to start talking about is the crisis in the CDU, which I think has mm -hmm. been papered over for a long time, thanks to Miracle and her popularity, as well as the boost that the party got in the earlier months of the pandemic. But now it seems that it's a, it's a, a party that is very much in crisis. Yeah, well, and uh, and that I think is you've hinted also at the uh, the looming um, issue that we'll get to in in our conversation today, and that is the the CDU um, Chancellor Merkel is not running for re-election, as uh, many uh, listeners of this podcast will will know, and so there will be a new uh, a, a new head of government in Germany. It may be from the same party, but it's going to be a different figure and. And what's happening right now, of course, is uh, the, the start of a decision-making process about who that chancellor candidate will be for the CDU or the CSU. And, uh, and so we will dive into that, but it, it, th th there are clearly some direct implications for, uh, for the CDU. Um, so let's talk for a second about the, about the outcome. And maybe we'll start with, uh, with Baden-Württemberg uh, because as you said, it is the larger um, of the two, and um, and so so what uh, you know what did we see uh, yesterday from uh, from from this uh, pretty state in southwest Germany? Yeah, you know I think that there's you know four things. Well, okay, there's more than four things, but there, there, there's quite a few things that are interesting. So the Greens actually increased their share to um, almost thirty three percent of the vote, which is you know their best result at any level ever. Let, let me let me interrupt you there, Eric. Just to, for listeners, um, this is the only state in Germany where the Greens um, have the head of government, the the Minister President uh, Winfried Kretschmann, uh, and as Eric said, he's been in power since two thousand and eleven. Um, the CDU, as we mentioned before, the Christian Democratic Union had a really bad night, losing three percent of the vote, going down to twenty four percent. That makes them the second largest party. We should also note that they've been the junior coalition partner with the Greens um, for the last uh, five-year um, term. Uh, I mentioned the SPD losing a little bit, so that's not so bad. The FDP, the Liberal Party, actually gained more than 2% and is over 10%, which is you know, really quite significant for that party because they have been struggling so much, at least nationally in the public opinion polls. I mean, there were some months over the last electoral period where we were unsure whether they would even make it in to the next Bundestag because they were hovering right below mm -hmm. the all important 5% threshold for representation. So a good night for the FDP. Um, the left party, 
gained slightly, but they're not going to make it into the uh, parliament with only 3.6% of the vote. And then the other, I think, really, really important, and to my mind at least, very reassuring um, uh, outcome is that the alternative for Germany, the kind of um, right-wing AFD, lost over 5% of the vote and came in at 9.7%. And to put, to put that in context, they lost a third of their support that they had had the last time around in 2016. So yeah. a really bad night for the AFD, although I'm, I'm sure many people were hoping they would have you know, sunk below the 5% the threshold, but still, you know, quite the debacle for, for them. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, when we talk about the winners and losers of, uh, of yesterday's two elections, I think we'll come back to that because I think there are some interesting um, things to, that you see in the results for the, for the AFD uh, in particular. You know, when, when, when we look at, at Baden-Württemberg, um, as, as you said, Eric, the, you had a green-black, that is a green conservative coalition led by the Greens, which is uh, you know, unique in Germany. And when we look at these, these results, and um, uh, there, there are two things that jump out at me. One is that the polls were remarkably accurate. Um, if you look at Baden-Württemberg, there's almost no divergence from the opinion polls uh, and, and the actual outcome. The only exception there is the AFD did a little worse than the polls predicted. Um, and then if you look at the seat distribution and you start to think about what coalition options are possible, that's where you also start to see something um, a little bit interesting. And in Baden-Württemberg, of course, they could continue the, uh, the current coalition, uh, Green Minister President and the CDU as a junior partner. Uh, the numbers certainly uh, are adequate for that. Um, but you also have another possibility, which is what is, so, what is called you know, a, a traffic light or a stoplight coalition or an Ampel coalition in German, uh, in which you would have the Greens, the, uh, the SPD, um, represented by the color red, and the Liberals, uh, represented by the color yellow, the FDP. Um, and so th let's talk a little bit about what, uh, what might take shape um, uh, in the government uh, in, in the days and weeks to come? Well, I mean, certainly Germany is abuzz about the so-called Ampel, the traffic light coalition that you have just mentioned. And, you know, that's a distinctive possibility. I mean, I guess it depends on how much the other parties want to kind of punish the CDU and try to weaken them for the general election campaign that's going to start um, really heating up uh, in the next few months. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, We'll see if they can make it work, but you know the FTP of today is not the FTP of you know the social liberal coalition of the 1970s, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean they've been almost completely devoted to coalition options with the CDU. Um, they've their their kind of social liberal profile is nowhere near as strong as it used to be uh, decades ago. I mean they've really turned into a kind of market fundamentalist market liberal party. In many, uh, in many respects. And we, we ought not to forget that this was, you know, the, the, uh, the CDU, the Greens, and the FDP had um, exploratory talks after the last Bundestag election. And it was because of the FDP and, you know, their problems with, the, with uh, migration policy, as well as some environmental policies that, that scuttled those talks and paved the way to the continuation of the Grand Coalition. Right. You know, I mean, uh, you know, people say the North never forgets, but I think that Greens and, and Social Democrats are probably not forgetting 
I don't want to call that treachery, but they're, they're not forgetting, you know, where the FDP actually stands right now. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a little skeptical that that's going to be made to work. Well, and, and uh, you know, as, as you've uh, hinted at, there's also the local prerogatives and desires are not always aligned with those of the national leadership. And clearly the national leadership of the Greens as well as the Social Democrats and the FDP um, would love to see a change in government in a major German state. So uh, you, can, you can be sure that, that there would be uh, a lot of uh, enthusiasm at the, at the level of the National Party organization to see a traffic light um, uh, coalition, uh, an ample coalition take shape. However, um, that's, that's different from you know, uh, saying it's, it's, a, it's a shoe in. The other, you know, the, the Minister President uh, Kretschmann, in his immediate comments after the uh, close of the polls, he said that fighting climate change will be his top um, issue in the coalition negotiations. Um, you might think uh, that that suggests uh, an, a, a preference for a, a, an ample coalition, but I think the fact that he's governed for the last five years with the CDU um, and has uh, also placed an emphasis on environmental policy uh, should not rule out then, um, the possibility of basically continuing the status quo. Um, but since we've been talking about an ample coalition, let's switch to a state where one actually exists. Um, uh, Rheinland-Pfalz, uh, which is governed by the SPD, Minister President Malu Dreyer, She's been in power um, for, this is, this is her the second election she has won, but she's been uh, in power for a couple of years longer than that since uh, for eight years altogether. Um, what, what did you see there? Well, I mean, we saw the SPD losing half a percent of the vote, but that is a big win, I think, given how they've been doing in the polls the last few years. The CDU did even worse in that state losing 4.1% of the vote. Um, the FTP also lost, the Greens went up 4%, but they're only at 9.3. So, you know, nowhere near as strong as in um, Baden-Württemberg, but still the third um, placed party now. Um, and then the AFD also lost a third of its vote, um, minus 4.3% down at 8.3. But the other thing that I wanted to mention about um, Rheinland Pfalz, which I think is really interesting, is this phenomenon of the free voters. Uh, mm -hmm. who got what 5.4 percent of the vote and are going to have six seats in the next um, Landtag. That's really I think an interesting and potentially significant kind of um, departure not just for the state but for Germany more generally. Of course the, the free voters have had groups in all of the um, federal states but they've done particularly well in Bavaria and are actually part of a coalition government right now since 2018. Um, with the CSU in that um, state. So I think that this represents the first time outside of Bavaria that these free voters have gained representation. And, you know, I was I, thinking, didn't, didn't, didn't they, didn't they get in, was it in Brandenburg? Um, I think there's one, I think this is actually the, the third state after Bavaria where they are represented, um, if I'm not mistaken. But it, it, you're, you're right. It's a, this is a trend that is, uh, that is new and it complicates the, the political landscape in new ways. I'm, but I'm wondering if it does, because I was looking at some of the, you know, electoral maps. I mean, we're, we'll get more detailed data as the weeks progress, but these kind of initial electoral maps where the parties were the strongest. And what was interesting is where the AFD was strongest, 
was not where the free voters were strongest. And so I'm wondering, so, and it, it's funny how they kind of complemented each other. I mean, both in more rural kind of areas, the Greens are doing really well in the cities along with the um, SPD in that state. But in the rural areas, it was really either the free voters or the AFD. And so sure, it's a complication, but maybe it's a complication insofar that they will start to funnel some of the support away from the AFD. And I think that's also one of the reasons the AFD lost you know, um, more than 4% in that particular state. Now, yeah. I don't wanna, I wanna be careful here. I mean, the free voters are not, you know, an AFD-like party. I mean, exactly. they, certainly, they certainly seem to be on the more conservative side of the spectrum, but they are certainly, I think, well within the mainstream. They like to focus on kind of local politics. They'd like to see the localities have larger budgets, for instance, more control over how money is spent uh, within their boundaries. They like more direct forms of democracy. Uh, they seem to be for fiscal prudence, which is an old kind of CDU um, value. And you know, maybe there's a, a, a hint of Euroscepticism, but I think in a kind of healthily critical way, not in you know a way that is it would be any way kind of disruptive or um, full-blown Euroskeptic as mm -hmm. we've seen in some other countries. But that's a really interesting new development. And we'll see if uh, this voting group will gain any traction. I mean, people thought in Bavaria that they would be a one-hit wonder, but they've yeah. made it into um, at least, I think, the last three, um, Lantega. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's certainly an interesting departure. Well, uh, and when we look at the, um, uh, the Rhineland-Pfalz results, uh, one thing that jumps out at me is um, that the Social Democrats did much better than the polls. They outperformed the polls by about three or four points. Um, so the 36% was a bit of a shock. Um, uh, and, and I think um, you know, the, the, the other thing that is, um, is interesting um, is that if, for those who've been following the opinion polls, there was a period only about a half a year ago where the, uh, the CDU was ahead in the polls. Um, and you know, not by a lot, but by a few points. And and so, in just four months, uh, just a few months, sorry, um, the uh, uh, the CDU um, has lost uh, about five points of support, and and the SPD has gained a few. So that I think is a trend that is, you know, regardless of the actual numbers uh, that came back yesterday, is uh, has to be something concerning um, for the for the CDU. But you know, Jess, what, what's interesting about that is I'm starting to see similar shifts with the um, national polling as well. There was a poll that came out today that had the CDU under 30% for the first yeah. time in years. And I mean, let's not forget that, you know, eight months ago, nine months ago, at the height of the pandemic, the CDU was polling at 37, 38%. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge kind of dip in support. I also saw in the same poll the SPD and Greens were tied at 17% each yeah. in yeah. this polling. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe these, you know, we, we always want to be a little skeptical to overinterpret these uh, regional results, but I don't know, maybe they are, are indicating something that will be happening nationally. Yeah. Last word on Rhineland, uh, Rhineland uh, Baltz is that the minister president, Malu Dreyer, uh, has indicated that you know, her preference is to continue the current coalition, um, the, uh, the AMPL coalition. Uh, and, uh, and so, it, you know, that looks like a, they've got 
sufficient seats to um, to form uh, form a government. So uh, there, it looks like we perhaps don't have any um, uh, major surprises ahead of us. It's just remarkable, though, for a, uh, a state that was the uh, home uh, of Helmut Kohl uh, and and where the uh, uh, the CDU traditionally was very strong. We are now going on 30 years of the of the Rhineland uh, being governed by the SPD. Um, so uh, a, a pretty remarkable achievement. Um, so maybe from there we get to the kind of who, who won, who lost um, in the bigger picture. Um, it, we've already mentioned uh, a little bit uh, uh, about this. Uh, I think, as you say, it was a, it was a good day for the Greens um, and you know, because for a, a party that was traditionally a, a junior partner of whomever they governed with, uh, for them to have solidified, um, strengthened their control over one of Germany's you know, wealthier and uh, more technologically advanced states is a pretty big deal. Oh, I mean, I mean, I agree most definitely. You know, and the, the other thing I would add too is one of the other reasons I think these regional elections are perhaps more important than usual is the timing, right? We're in mid-March right now. Well, we're also in COVID time. So everything seems slower, but sometimes faster before you know it, we're going to be in the, the, the hot part of the campaign. So things that are happening now are going to affect the different parties' momentum. They're going to affect the tactical and strategic decisions they make going in. And so I think that, that, that maybe we're not over-interpreting these, these results for a change. Mm -hmm. The Greens, um, we had noticed in the polling over the last couple of months that they were faltering a little bit, right? I mean, um, for a while, they were in the 20, 22, 23% range. They haven't been over 20 for a while, right? They've been down in the 16, 17, 18% range. Nationally, you mean? A, a, lot of the, a lot of these polls. So um, I feel, and I feel like the Greens have had this, this um, tradition, I don't want to call it a tradition, but they've had this pattern in previous electoral cycles where they'll ride really high in the polls, kind of a year before, two years before a Bundestag election, and then they will crash and burn, right? Um, this happened especially in the 2013 election, um, if memory serves, and then to a lesser extent before the 2017 election as well. So I feel like this is gonna boost the Greens' confidence. They're gonna say, we're not gonna do an own goal again, which they have done before, that we can actually you know, carry the, the torch to the finish line. So I think this is gonna be hugely motivating for the Greens and it will give them a kind of confidence. So just a little while ago, uh, one of these potential own goals was starting to get traction in the German press where some regional politician, I think in Schleswig-Holstein, maybe it was Hamburg, talked about how they're gonna ban single family homes because they're so environmentally unfriendly. Of course, that was only one local or regional politician, but that's the kind of thing that the press kind of picks up. What's a national green leader gonna say? Because deep down they probably agree, but it's not an electoral winner. But I feel like uh, the victory that they had yesterday is going to allay those fears and they will have a lot more confidence to kind of confront the inevitable missteps that happen um, on the election trail. Yeah, yeah, in, in, in some ways, uh, you know, the, as you're, you're right, there will always be missteps on the election trail. You, you just want to hope that your, your opponents um, make more of them or make the kinds of missteps that can turn into national stories uh, for multiple election cycle or uh, news cycles um, as opposed to your own. And, uh, and at least right now with a, with a, with a very strong positive result, um, then that, that at least provides that possibility. 
Uh, among the uh, among the, the big, you know, we've talked about the CDU's losses, and and you know they are they are significant, um, not least because uh, the CDU was neck and neck with the Greens in Baden-Württemberg for a long time, never quite equivalent, but always just one or two points behind um, until uh, until fairly recently. So so that shows a kind of softness and weakness going into the election, in a, or, or um, as, as you said before, there's, there's a, there is a personality um, a driven element to regional elections, especially. And, and so uh, people return to that um, you know, well-known um, uh, figure that, uh, that stands for stability, uh, predictability, and, and a, a fair amount of success over the last few years. Um, the the others, you know, the AFD, uh, as you said, did uh, did poorly. I think the the left party, Die Linke, um, uh, also in both states, they fell out of the. They will not be represented in the Landtag because they failed to get five percent, um, and that's a, a, a real blow for them. But I think if we turn back to the AFD, what I found interesting, you know, in some of the exit polls, the uh, you get a little bit of data that shows people who changed their votes. You know, if you voted last time for party X and then you voted this time for party Y. And the, the number that stood out for me is that in both states, um, the AFD had a huge number of their former voters who this time simply chose not to vote. Um, in in Rhineland-Pfalz, uh, it was the, the majority of the voters they lost were people who just didn't vote this time. Um, and and it, was a, it was a pretty high figure in Baden-Württemberg as well. And if, if you think about the AFD as kind of a, a, a protest party that, uh, that kind of uh, vacuums up um, the frustrations of people who are outside the political process, this suggests that their appeal to those voters is declining. And as, as we said with the, this, uh, this group called the, the, the Freie Wähler, the Free Voters uh, Organization, um, there may be other um, magnets uh, appearing that could attract that, um, uh, that protest vote. So um, you know, not, uh, not good news uh, for the AFD. Oh, I agree 100%. The only thing that I would add is, you know, um, when the AFD had its breakthrough uh, election um, triumphs, so to say, like in Baden-Württemberg last time, um, in the, the Eastern states over the last couple of electoral cycles in the 2017 Bundestag election, you know, their, their primary source of voters were the previous non-voters. So it's really quite um, fascinating. And I'm glad you brought that up that, uh, you know, they, these voters that they momentarily mobilize are now demobilized again. And so the question is, are they gonna stay demobilized or will there be a new magnet for them as, as you put it? But you know, let's also not forget that the AFD gained traction based on the migration issue, right? Yeah. If you look at like, all the polling from, you know, the 2015 to, you know, 2018, 2019 period, it was all migration, migration, migration. That's the number one reason that anybody voted for the AFD. And that was also the number one um, issue at the 2017 Bundestag election, despite the migration crisis being two years behind the country. And so now that that is no longer the kind of main issue, the AFD really doesn't have anything else for people to be you know, upset about and to go to the polls. I mean, they've tried to gain a little bit of traction as of late, kind of criticizing the various um, pandemic policies of various governments, 
but I don't think they've gained that much traction. There isn't the same kind of anger towards that as you you see in the United States, for instance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but if we can go back to the CDU for a second. And I think let, let, let's dwell on that for a little bit because I think it's time. Yeah, and because the more that I think about it, the more that I think that that the CDU is in really much bigger trouble than I had thought. And, you know, maybe all the indications were there, but it takes election results like yesterday to kind of like solidify what's going on. So the one other thing that I should bring up is, you know, of course, the German press has been, you know, all a Twitter the last little while about some of these corruption scandals. So these, these, uh, these two deputies that, you know, profited off of, you know, sweetheart mask uh, selling deals to, I think, some local municipalities. And then there was one deputy from Thuringia who made money, you know, consulting for Azerbaijan or something like that. Um, you know, all three have quit, right? And I think they've even been expelled from the party. But that was also a consideration um, uh, for why some people decided not to vote CDU in the um, two elections yesterday. And I think that that, that and I'm not trying to dwell on this because it is a, a, a small scandal, so to say, although Armin Laschet at his news conference was very defensive about the, these instances. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. that. But I think that it speaks to a larger issue. You know, if you look at the corruption literature, the longer a party is in power, the greater the likelihood of, you know, corruption to occur and to, you know, come, um, you know, uh, to public view. And so I feel like it's not just these kind of specific instances, however serious they are, but it speaks to this feeling that I think many Germans are, are probably sharing that, you know, the CDU has been there too long. They, they, they need to renew themselves. The country's government needs to be renewed to kind of purge the, you know, corrupt exchanges from, from the system. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, and that has always been Merkel's strength is that, you know, she has this unimpeachable integrity um, you know, intellectually, um, uh, perhaps, but certainly, you know, there's never been even the hint of any kind of, um, you know, abuse of power um, from from her. So, uh, and the more people think about the the CDU as an entity distinct from Merkel, the more these these uh, counter the, 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 these uh, sort of instances. Um, uh, will make an impression on voters. I agree with that. I, I, I think, you know, when we, th- let's talk a little bit about the CDU, then we'll change to the chancellor candidate. Because when I look at this, I think that what's what's happening is a reversion to the, it's almost like we've hit the reset button and we're back in January, 2020. Because um, if we think about, if you think about the way public opinion looked in Germany, in January, 2020, it's pretty similar to now. The CDU was below 30%. Um, I even pulled up the figures from, uh, from back then. The, uh, the Greens were at 21, okay. Uh, the SPD was at 13. And then you had the AFD, the FDP and, and Die Linke um, all kind of you know, clustered around the 10% mark more or less. And uh, it was the pandemic that, uh, that brought this um, on the one hand, I think a, 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 an overarching sense of solidarity within Germany, you know, we're all in this together, we've all got to make some sacrifices, um, a certain pride that came when Germany had a, um, a, a better uh, performance than most of its European neighbors and most countries internationally. 
Um, and all of that fed a confidence and support for Merkel and her government that really accrued mainly to the CDU and not to the coalition partner, the Social Democrats. And I think that's what drove Merkel. I mean, there was one poll in, um, in, the, in I think, May or June of last year in which the CDU reached 40%. Um, but, you know, maybe the further we get from, uh, from the pandemic, the more that's going to look like the anomaly and not the situation that we're in right now. I think you're probably, you know, uh, quite correct about that. The other thing too is, I mean, we've talked about miracle fatigue probably for the last 10 years <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it hasn't come to pass. And um, I don't know, maybe this time we're really um, at that, you know, actual point. My impression has been, I mean, Miracle has never been an in-your-face, charismatic leader giving press conferences and, and speeches, you know, constantly. She's always been more of a, of a subdued leader. But I don't know, I, I, I increasingly get the impression that she knows she's a lame duck. She knows that she's six months from retirement. And, you know, it's almost like she's treading water. So, mm -hmm. I mean, like her lack of visibility the last little while has, has really kind of struck me. So, you know, maybe she's doing that on purpose because it's time for somebody else to kind of step up. It's time for Lasha to profile himself as the, as the Germans would say. But um, there's certainly, I don't think it's any more of this miracle bonus that the CDU benefited from for a long time. So, right. you know, it's not just that we're back to January, 2020, but, you know, maybe we're back to, I don't know, January 2005, where, you know, Merkel is a non-factor <laughs> and she's yeah. been a factor for almost 16 years. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of the new normal. The, yeah. But the other thing to remember about the CDU, well, you of course know that, but um, is it's such a deeply divided party right now. I mean, you know, let's not forget that Laschet only won the, 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 the chair um, position in January. It was a very divided not quite 50-50, but, you know, 51-49 kind of um, party. And, um, you know, the, the more conservative wing that had coalesced around Friedrich Merz, it's still there. It's still probably not entirely happy with what Laschet is doing. And I think that's going to be a real liability going yeah. into this election. Well, and, and so you've got two different things that come out of that. One is the formal choice of a chancellor candidate, which um, people expect to happen somewhere uh, around Easter, perhaps as late as um, the end of May. Um, and, and then the, the related but distinct question is, how are they going to do in the election? Um, and, and I think there are, you know, if you look at opinion polls, um, the two choices they've got are, of course, Armin Laschet, party chairman, um, or the chairman of the CSU, the Christian Social Union from Bavaria, Minister President of Bavaria, Marcus Zuder. Uh, and uh, if you look at opinion polls, um, Zuder does better in a theoretical um, uh, election race than, than Laschet would. But you know, it's not the voters who make that decision. Um, it, and it's, it's not even, it's not even a, a party conference like we had in January, where you had 1,001 delegates uh, who cast their votes. Uh, in this case, it's going to be some kind of informal arrangement worked out between Laschet and Zuder, and it's going to be informed basically by, um, you know, the the, diff, the 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 leading constituencies inside the CDU, and that I think is the real th the thing to watch um, now is will um, those 
regional CDU leaders, um, will they stand by Laschet and help him um, uh, you know, advance and uh, you know, push forward his claim to be the chancellor candidate? Or will he get enough cautionary voices saying, Armin, maybe it's better that you wait um, and, and, and let, let uh, Marcus Zuder take the shot? Um, so that I think is gonna be the, the dance over the next few weeks is where do the, the CDU heavyweights um, uh, take a stand? To what degree do they do that publicly? And, um, and, and that's gonna be the, the thing to watch. I mean, I have some new thoughts on that. Um, oh. You know, for the longest time, I thought for sure it'd be Suda because he seems to be, you know, um, better liked and more popular nationally. But I don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be Lashet now. And I'll tell you why. I think that, I mean, you know how it is in political life, right? You know, they're all sharks. They can smell blood and, um, and everything like that. From everything that I've ever read about Suda is, you know, he's kind of an opportunist. And he's only going to do something if he knows for sure he's going to win, right? And so he's also said repeatedly that he's really happy in Bavaria. I mean, he's only been minister for president since what, 2018? So it's not like you know he's had a you know a, a, a 10 year run like you know Kretschmann in um, Baden-Württemberg. And I think that he smells blood in the water. That's also why all this talk about the traffic light coalition, the Ampel, is so significant because it's it's starting to implant in people's brains that this is another option. I mean, for the last however many years, I have—I even wrote it in my textbook that it's going to be a, a, a black-green government. Like that's just what everybody has thought. But now, all of a sudden, it seems like maybe it wouldn't be. And depending on some of these polls, they might not, may, may not even have enough support to go in just just the two of them anyway. Depending on how this goes. So what I think yeah. is going to happen is Ampel is is—I don't want to say likely, but it's more possible than before. Sudar knows that. And he doesn't want to be the sacrificial lamb like the two Bavarians before him, right? Like Franz Josef Strauss in what, 1980? And then um, Edmund Stoiber in 2002. So I think he's going to say, fine, Armin, you take it. Um, thinking that the CDU will lose power, then Suter can position himself in uh, 2025 as the you know, savior of the, of the union. So mm-hmm. that, 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 I'll go on the limb and say that I think that's what's going to happen. Okay, well, that's uh, that's a provocative thesis, and uh, you know there's there there may be something to it. Um, uh, so the thing that strikes me is that we're we're not the the current trends would have to continue for um, a a coalition without the CDU to be possible. Like right now, uh, even even with the bad poll result that came out this morning, um, with the CDU getting twenty nine and a half percent, even in that poll. Um, there is no, it's basically impossible to form a government without the CDU, um, which means the CDU remains um, in control of the chancellorship. Um, But all it would take is another surge by the Greens or a recovery by the SPD or something else like a surge for the FDP. And then then it would become totally uh, arithmetically possible. Uh, the scenario you just outlined, Eric. So the dynamics in the in in, in the political landscape you know, of which we've just been reminded, um, you know, we've got six months until the election, and uh, I, I agree totally that that uh, you know this is you cannot project a straight line out from today to September 26th 
and uh, because I think there's there's just uh, there's just too much emotion, and um, and I I also wouldn't rule out you know some some of the national party leaderships also trying to push their regional leaders in Baden-Württemberg or in Rhineland-Pfalz to generate some more surprises that 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 create a kind of momentum because we have only there's one other state election between now and the federal election. It's in Saxony-Anhalt uh, at the start of June, but that's a relatively small state population-wise, also in terms of its political influence. It's in, a, it's in Eastern Germany. Uh, the AFD is probably gonna do pretty well there. Um, so you're gonna have a kind of a distort, it's not gonna reflect national um, phenomena to the, to the extent that yesterday's vote did. So I think that there's going to be a, um, you know, this is the, this is the last real, um, the last good barometer of voter sentiment at the polls between. Agreed. So, so what does this, um, what does this mean? Can we, can we take a, take a peek beyond um, and say what this might mean for Germany's, um, Germany's direction beyond um, uh, September? Um, does, uh, does this, on the one hand, we've got a strengthening of the personal um, uh, element in politics. Um, I think that's unmistakable. Um, so, so perhaps um, this is a further breakdown of, of the control of political parties um, and a personalization of politics. Um, perhaps it's also a new reorganization of the center, um, which could you know, be its own kind of stability uh, and continuity, if you think about Germany in a European context. Um, uh, but but what, do you, what do you think, Eric, when you try to look, uh, look a little bit further out? Um, I think that, and this is not just a, a kind of German challenge, I think it's a challenge across the developed world, actually across the world period these days, which is that electorates are not the way that they used to be, right? It used to be that if you were, you know, a, a Catholic farmer, you voted CDU, period or in Bavaria CSU. If you were an urban worker um, and Protestant in particular, you voted SPD. So all of those old demographic bases, I think are essentially gone. I mean, there's a, there's a slight correlation these days, but it's not like things used to be. And I'm not sure that the parties have entirely adjusted to this new reality. I think they, they, they still behave as if they have like these Stammwähler, right? Like this, this, kind of, this kind of base. Your, your base, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that I think that going forward, they have to understand that every vote is um, contestable and contested, and that they, they have to they can't assume that they're going to have 10, 15, 20 percent of a of a of a basis of support. Uh, they have to do better at communicating their platforms, you know, to voters, and they have to they have to behave as if every election was the first time they're introducing themselves uh, to people. I mean, I think the German parties have adjusted to an extent, but I think that there's more um, in that process to go. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place for us to, uh, to wrap up this episode of the Zeitgeist. Um, we, have, um, we have six uh, interesting months ahead of us. Uh, we've got a couple of near-term decisions, including the decision about uh, who will be the chancellor candidate for the CDU. Um, and then we're going to have a an intensely fought uh, election campaign with some new faces. Uh, and um, even if they're fighting that campaign virtually and not in person, uh, it is going to be 
um, I think um, a, a really intense one. So uh, we will follow it all and we're glad to have you with us, uh, listeners of the Zeitgeist, and uh, we will look forward to having you with us again soon. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for listening to the Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören.